Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is a story that I want you to be aware of, but I'm not going to spend more than 30 seconds on it because what I'm about to tell you about has very little chance of becoming law, but unfortunately, this is a trend that I see taking hold in many different parts of the country. And we go to Indiana. Representative, state representative Vernon Smith, you know where he represents? Gary, Indiana, the land that not only gave us Michael Jackson, but gave us that great song in The Music Man. Remember, Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, not Louisiana. Da, 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 da. Very catchy. He's introduced a bill called House Bill 1017, knowing it most likely won't be passed, which is why I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. His whole thought process behind it is to get people thinking. Now, that in and of itself, nothing wrong with that. He's just, this is what he said to the um, state house file in, uh, in Indiana. I'm just trying to send a wake-up call. I didn't expect to be able to get a hearing. I know it's going nowhere, but I was just trying to send a message. What is this public servant proposing? Well, HB 1017 would prohibit... This is not from The Onion. This is not a joke. This is not hyperbole. This is the actual legislation. I wish I were joking. HB 1017 would prohibit Indiana schools from teaching about Christopher Columbus or former United States presidents who were known to have slaves. However, the bill would allow instruction on these individuals if the teaching included the individual's ownership of slaves or the decimation of indigenous populations. Smith says what led to the creation of the legislation was that he's seen bills in the last couple of years that deal with critical race theory or that look to change history. So why not? History is a lot better without Christopher Columbus and George Washington in it, isn't it? There you have it. I don't see it passing. I don't even know that it's going to be getting a hearing. But that is what I think you can expect more of. And I think in a lot of ways it is a response to people raising legislation about book bans and critical race theory and things like that. All right. This is exciting. This is one of history's enduring mysteries, which we have covered at length on this show. A pilot and former U.S. Air Force intelligence officer, believes an image that he captured using sonar on a high-tech unmanned submersible may have finally answered one of America's most baffling mysteries. What caused the disappearance of iconic pilot 
Amelia Earhart at the height of her fame. Tony Romeo is one of a long line of researchers to have taken up the search for Earhart's plane. Very distinctive plane. I don't know a lot about aviation. I usually leave that to Dr. Sky or John Katzmatidis, who is a licensed pilot. But apparently her plane is unique. It's a Lockheed 10E Electra plane, and it disappeared over the Pacific Ocean along with its famous pilot and navigator Fred Noonan during an attempt to circumnavigate the globe in July of 1937. And the mystery surrounding Earhart's disappearance has puzzled everybody. It's puzzled researchers. It has spurred all sorts of conspiracy theories over the years. We've chronicled many of them on this show, from the Japanese taking her prisoner to her actually being a government spy to a whole bunch of others. But Romeo, a former real estate investor who sold commercial properties to raise the $11 million needed to begin funding the search. Can we talk about that, by the way? That's a guy that's dedicated to finding out the truth about this and to believing he knows the right tools to get to the truth. He's selling commercial reels. I mean, God bless him that he's got that kind of money, but he's selling commercial properties to raise $11 million, not to put in his pocket, but to pour into this. God bless him. That's great. That's the kind of people we need more of in society, as far as I'm concerned. So Romeo raised the $11 million needed to begin funding the research, the funding the search. He returned in December from a 100-day voyage at sea with a sonar image that he believes shows the lost plane in the ocean's depths. His expedition, which was carried out using a $9 million high-tech unmanned submersible Hugen drone manufactured by a Norwegian company and a research crew of 16 started last September and it covered 5,200 square miles of the ocean floor. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. And it was a dream that Romeo had for years before making it a reality. He said, this has been a story that's always intrigued me and all the things in my life kind of collided at the right moment. And I was getting out of the real estate business and looking for a new project. So even though I really started about 18 months ago, this was something I've been thinking uh, about and researching for a long time. So roughly a month into the trip, the team captured a sonar image of the plane-shaped object about 100 miles from Howland Island. But it didn't discover the image in the submersible's data until the 90th day of the voyage, making it you know, a little impractical to turn back to get a closer look. So experts have shown interest in this finding with a curator, Dorothy Cochran, a curator at the Smithsonian's Air and Space Museum, telling the Wall Street Journal that the reported location where the image was taken was just about right geographically compared to where Earhart's plane is believed to have gone down. But others say they need clearer views and more details like the plane's serial number. So Romeo, who said the search may be the most exciting thing I'll ever do in my life, added that he planned to return to the area to try to capture better images using autonomous or robotic submersibles equipped with cameras and sonar to get closer to the object, which rests more than 16,500 feet beneath the surface. Romeo told the Business Insider that if it's not Earhart's plane, the object he found could be a different missing aircraft lost in the Pacific. Or, and this is a lot less interesting, obviously, another man-made object that fell off a shipping container. We just don't know. But as of now, 
He's feeling confident he's made a groundbreaking discovery due to the distinctive shape of the fuselage, tail, and wings. And look, if you look at the sonar image of the object, it looks, and you look at it side by side with Amelia Earhart's plane, it looks exactly like what the plane looks like with a little bit of, you know, being beaten up over the years. So he says that the next step is confirmation. They're going to go back out and get different sorts of sensors and really photograph it well and take a look at how this artifact is sitting on the seabed. So it's very exciting. A lot of explorers have pumped millions of dollars into expeditions to find this lost plane over the years, but her last known location has made the searches pretty difficult. Very deep water. And the area that she could have possibly been in is just huge. Here is uh, Mr. Tony Romeo talking about what he's done and where what the next step is. My brother and I and um, a few others over time started really researching Amelia's disappearance. And um, we came to believe that it was a solvable mystery. Wild, crazy theories about um, what happened to her. But uh, in the end, I think she was tantalizingly close to the island. She was a terrific pilot, and I think we're going to prove that. So we ended up going out and searching for about 100 days near Howland Island, which is where she disappeared, um, and that's where we think we found her. We're going to go back, and uh, the next expedition will be uh, hopefully taking the AUV directly over the aircraft with a media team um, and seeing those numbers written on the wing. So, very exciting. Uh, I think this could be a monumental discovery. And if it's not Amelia Earhart, or her plane, rather, then it's not. It's still something that's interesting. I mean, Earhart obviously gets so much attention because she was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. And uh, the U.S. declared her legally dead back in 1939. But there's always been this mystery in terms of what happened to her. It's become one of the most enduring mysteries of both the 20th and the 21st century. And could this be solving of this mystery? Romeo thinks he's taken a massive step towards answering the vital questions surrounding her disappearance. The theory which he relied on has guided his research, and it suggests that Earhart crossed over the international date line during this 20-hour flight and her navigation system became inaccurate and misdirected misdirected her plane by about 60 miles. And that's what Romeo thinks led to this tragic end. He says once he has confirmation that he's found Earhart's plane, hopefully during another voyage planned for later this year, they're going to, Romeo says the company he's created as part of the search will continue trying to solve other mysteries held in the ocean. Obviously a lot more recent than Amelia Earhart, a lot of people wonder what happened to flight MH370. That's still out there. We never found that plane either. So uh, I think it's pretty exciting, and I'm glad guys like Tony Romeo are out there. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Carol Alt joining me in just a couple of minutes. 800-848-9222. Alex is in California. Hi, Alex. Oh, hi. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I just had really comments about the uh, U.S. wars overseas. Sure. Uh, ultimately, um, the American people are responsible for the actions of their government. And uh, if somebody gets hurt by our military, like, say, the Iraqis, they are entitled to uh, retaliate with lethal force against American citizens. But my second comment is that 
one benefit of having the most powerful military and the most extensive uh, eavesdropping network in the world is that no matter what we do, even if it's wrong, nobody can retaliate against the American people because we would intercept them and uh, basically kill them. And that also answers your question of why we continue to do this. We continue to do this, to do these terrible things overseas, is because there's very few consequences for us. We have the, the most powerful military. Well, you know, uh, as far as the first part of what you said, that the American, you know, the, the American people are where the root cause of a lot of this, Th- that kind of conversation, it does make me a little uneasy and a little nervous because that was precisely the rationale that Osama bin Laden used in attacking innocent civilians on September 11th because he said, look, we have democratic elections and we elected people that did this. And to some extent, it's the rationale that Hamas used on October 7th as why it was okay to kill innocent people because the Israelis elected a government that were doing what they were doing in the Gaza Strip. And a lot of Israelis use it as justification for uh, killing innocent people in Gaza because Gaza elected Hamas the last time they had free elections. So that does uh, make me a little nervous, that kind of thinking that because our government does something, all of us own that. I get what you mean, but uh, I think it quickly becomes a justification for killing people that really had very little say in this decision, whether it's Hamas doing it or whether it's the... Um, whether it's Bin Laden doing it to the United States makes me a little a little nervous. All right, uh, we're going to get into it with Carol Alt in just a minute. Uh, Carol Alt not only has she's graced multiple covers of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, it's looking like Sports Illustrated may soon be a thing of the past, which I don't know that I ever thought I would say. We're going to get into it uh, with with her and see where she sees this going. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight, I'm Frank Morano. Uh, like a lot of people, I was somewhat surprised, although not totally shocked, at the news that there were massive layoffs at Sports Illustrated a week or two ago. And I mean, almost the entire staff is gone. Now, on the one hand, it's surprising because Sports Illustrated is just such an iconic brand. It's something that you always think of as just being there, like Ford, like Coca-Cola. But on the other hand, I was thinking myself, when was the last time I actually picked up a Sports Illustrated? Generally, if you want to read an article about uh, sports, you'll go online to ESPN.com or something along those lines. If you want uh, some in-depth analysis, you'll tune to a sports podcast and you really wonder what place Sports Illustrated has. And then I remembered, obviously, 
the one thing that Sports Illustrated has, which maybe isn't so easily duplicated, is the swimsuit edition. And I don't think there is a more iconic cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition than the one that Carol Alt graces. Uh, the last few years, I have had the good fortune of getting to know Carol Alt a bit. And I will tell you, she does the honor of uh, coming to our wedding about five years ago. And other than my beautiful bride, Rachel, she was absolutely the person that the most eyes in the entire place were on. And I am thrilled uh, to welcome back to the program supermodel, actress, author, and health advocate, Carol Ald. Carol, it's been too long. It's great to talk to you. Hey, Frank, thanks for, thanks for talking to me today. You're making me laugh about your wedding. You're so sweet. Well, I hope you had fun. I know it was a hike for you to come all the way out there, so I appreciate it. No, you guys no, be, it was great. There. You know, and I was with Joe Piscopo. We had a, we had a very good time. Your yeah, wedding well, you was beautiful. Were, your wife was gorgeous. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you were certainly a sport. Now, um, for people that don't remember your experience with Sports Illustrated, the swimsuit edition, remind folks about it. What was it like? What kind of a kind of a game changer was that for you and your career at the time? How did that change your your career if it did? Well, first of all, I had a very long history with with Sports Illustrated, starting with Julie Campbell, Diane Smith, and then going to MJ Day, who's the uh, the head of the helm today. So, you know, I started actually, believe it or not, with the winter issue, with the ski wear issue. And we were supposed hmm. to have the cover December of, I think it was 81 or 80. I think it was 80. Um, but a boxer knocked me off the cover for that month. But then I went back again and Julie took me because she thought I looked like Christy Brinkley. I don't know how <laughs> she did, but she did at that time. And Christy was her star. And, you know, so I got the winter issue. And then I came back again and then I got the cover for Kenya. And then I got the cover for uh, one of the 25th anniversary issues in uh, Queen of Kauai. So I have I have two great covers of Sports Illustrated. And I went back to the 50th anniversary issue and. Now this year it's the 60th, so I did swim week for them uh, just in August. You know, I, I had a great time with them, but for a person back in, in the 80s when my first cover came out, it was nobody else put your name on the cover. Cover girl uh, makeup was the only makeup that put, you know, cover girl Carol Alt. But hmm. Sports Illustrated hit a completely different market. It was an all male market. At, at that time. And, um, it was, you know, your name on it. And I remember coming out of a gym one time up in Vermont, it was snowing, had a hood on. I was completely red from working out. And some guy says, Hey, are you Carol Alton? I was like, yeah, what, do I know you? Like I was thinking, do I know this guy from high school? Do I know, where do I know this guy? He goes, why would you know me? Aren't you on the cover of Sports Illustrated? I'm like, you recognize me from that? He goes, you're <laughs> kidding, right? It's the cover of Sports Illustrated. And really that's the way it was from then on out. Well, and, and so what was it that made uh, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition so unique? What, was it the fact that, I mean, obviously there's a lot of places, even back in 1981, that you could go to look at uh, beautiful women not necessarily wearing a lot of clothing. I would think there was something more to its appeal than just looking at beautiful women wearing swimsuits, wasn't it? What do you think made it such a, a meteoric rise in popularity? You know, first of all, it was it was a sports magazine, so it wasn't necessarily about naked bodies or sex. It was 
girl next door. There was no accessories, no heels, no, uh, I mean, I did my own makeup sitting on a beach. We had no hairdressers. It was just beautiful girl next door in all the new bathing suits of the season. So it was a, it was a mix of fashion and, you know, girl next door and sport. And, I, you know, when Julie pitched this, Julie Campbell, the, for, the, she pitched this in like 1963 or 64, I think it was. Um, they didn't really want to do it. She pushed and pushed and pushed. She got like seven or eight pages. They cut all the pictures up. And then, you know, this became the most coveted issue of the year. And people would run out. I mean, I know I certainly did. Ran out in the morning of uh, you know early February and it's snowing outside. And there were, you know, all these women in a beautiful location. So you learned about the location. You, you, you know, these, these girls became your friends. Like, you know, I came mm-hmm. back like nine times to do the issue. It wasn't like it was one issue, one and done. Um, you know, a couple girls were like that, but for, for the bulk of the girls, you know, you had a relationship with Sports Illustrated and they had a relationship with you. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it was completely different than anything else like Playboy one and done penthouse one and done. They were really explicit. And, and you know, I'm not saying that people back then didn't go like, ah, why do you, I'm canceling my issue because everybody knew about <laughs> the Sports Illustrated swimwear issue. It was never a surprise. It came every February and people look forward to it. It just had its niche. Uh, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Carol Alt, supermodel, actress, author. The list goes on and on. You could actually check out her website, carolalt.com. There's a lot, links to a lot of great photos there and a lot of interesting lifestyle tips, which uh, I've certainly tried to do my best to uh, benefit from. Hey, um, Carol, I remember a few years ago, I guess three or four years ago now, you made the decision, even though you'd done um, Sports Illustrated in 1981, in 1987, in 2014 to kind of recreate the cover on your own at 59 years old, a time when, you know, let's face it, that's not the not considered the prime age for swimsuit modeling. What led you to recreate that cover a few years ago? Well, it wasn't I didn't recreate my cover. What happened was the Sports Illustrated threw out a challenge for anybody who wanted to copy one of their covers. So, you know, it was during COVID. I not I didn't have a bathing suit. I didn't have any of the bathing suits that were on the cover. And I think the easiest cover to do was one with just these beads and a you know a bikini bottom. And I called my photographer. I said this would be really funny. I'm going to write Sports Illustrated and see if this is you know open to anybody. If I could recreate one of the other girls' covers. So you know they said yeah go ahead. So we did. I mean we got fifty thousand views on it. It was you know it was hilarious. Um, I, I think, you know, for me, for Frank, you just said it. I mean, I've always pushed the health angle on everything and, you mm. know, I had terrible health issues. So for me, the fact that I'm still standing and it's because I'm careful about my diet. I'm careful about who I hang with, the spirituality part of everything. And I think all of that really makes a big difference when you're battling for your life in terms of health issues. And I just think, for, you know, even like when I did Playboy, I did it for a specific purpose. There was a specific message. And the message was that, you, you know, no matter what befalls you, you can rise above it. You know, you can, you, you, you can take control of your health, 
of the, your surroundings. You can take control and it will change your destiny. And that's always been my message. And it always starts with what we eat, what we put in our body. So that, you know, for me, it's always been a very important, important message. Well, and I guess it's the most important message, right? I mean, you, you turn to um, almost every aspect of life uh, and you realize how unimportant everything else is if your health is failing or if you don't have the energy to do a lot of the things that you want to do. I want to ask you a little bit about your diet in, in a second. But now what we're seeing with Sports Illustrated, these layoffs, these uh, the, the fact that it looks like the chairman of the publishing company, the parent company of Sports Illustrated is resigning. And a lot of people are wondering if Sports Illustrated even has a future. Are you, are you sad in a way to see what happening now to Sports Illustrated, something that you've been such a part of and so identified with for over 40 years now. I'm going to make a prediction that it doesn't touch this, the swim issue. I'm going to make that oh. prediction. I, I, I think I, okay. that, that I think it's an iconic issue. I think they'll always have a print issue of that. And um, I think probably there, you know, I'm just predicting because I, you know, I've read the same things you've read. Sure. But sure. I think I think that they're just restructuring and I think they're going to come back. I think Sports Illustrated just is a part of history. I think people will always want to have a magazine in their hand. And if it's going to be one magazine, I think that magazine will be Sports Illustrated. So it'll be interesting to see if my prediction comes true. Uh, hey, fingers crossed. I know a lot of uh, fellas are, are rooting for your prediction to be accurate. Do you think magazines like Sports Illustrated still have a future? I mean, uh, you mentioned the incredible brand that Sports Illustrated, not only the Swimsuit Edition, but the the, the magazine as a whole has built over the last you know uh, half century are those days over i think for a lot of magazines they they didn't make it in print but they'll make it online i mean i I don't know what the future holds you know frank the entire modeling industry itself has completely changed Mm. i mean today you you know if you don't have instagram or twitter believe it or not an OnlyFans page which i opened up because I, that's where women are auditioning for parts. My girlfriend, Denise Richards, said, Carol, I get hired off of my OnlyFans page. I'm like, you've got to be kidding wow. me. Like, it's, just, it's just a completely, completely different time. And it, it's, I think, you know, for someone of my generation, it's hard to look at this and fathom that everything's going online. But, it, you know, everything is. By the way, I'm at Model Carol Alt on Instagram and Twitter and OnlyFans, <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a walking commercial for all my uh, my Instagram stuff that I used to get paid to do this a lot of money. And now I'm doing it free for, uh, you know, Instagram that owns my pictures, but only fans where I own my pictures. So well, you know, I want to ask it's a, just a different yeah. time, Frank. Well, so one of the areas where it seems it's very much a different time is with artificial intelligence and AI. And I think Sports Illustrated was one of the uh, publications that got kind of zinged for having uh, AI write articles for them. But now uh, there's this whole controversy about uh, these explicit images, which were not real, of Taylor Swift that were created through AI. Are you concerned about AI and what it's doing to journalism, what it's doing to modeling? Not only for you, because somebody could create a a, a Carol Alt doing something that you never did, a pose you never did, but for the industry as a whole. Where where does this leave us, Carol? You know, 
You know, there's a girl on Instagram who made a an avatar of what she dreamed to look like. And she has millions of followers on this avatar because it's a beautiful avatar. It's very sexy and it does everything that she cannot do. Uh, it's it's frankly quite scary. And, you know, as an actor who makes a living and a, and a model who makes a living off of her face and her image, anybody stealing that and doing a deep dive and, and making you know, something else out of me is terrifying. I can't mm. deny that. I, you know, and I know that if you make your avatar, which you know, I think a lot of people are doing and they're copywriting it. I mean, now it's, you know, it's a whole nother way to protect, you have to protect yourself. If you have to copyright a name and a trademark this and, uh, you know, have copyrights on your books, now you have to have a copyright on your own dang face. I mean, well, it's, uh, it is, it's quite scary. And in terms of what, you know, AI is writing, I mean, I, I certainly like the personal touch. I like to know that there's a person behind something that stands behind their word. And I certainly don't like people losing their job to, a, you know, an artificial intelligence that, you know, a magazine could write 50 articles every month in 30 minutes and never pay another writer again. I, I still think people want to know the writers behind it. Who wrote it? Who did this? Who did that? I don't know. Maybe they'll make up names and put avatars. I don't uh, know. But it's, it's a very, very scary time. And AI I, is- I am, I'm with you. I'm not looking forward to uh, the days of AI radio talk show hosts at all. And apparently uh, that's not know, in the distant future. They, can you imagine they copy your voice and your style and say, okay, thanks, Frank. We... We got everything we need from you, and now we're just going to use this AI image yeah, of you. Uh, yeah, it's no, I, genuinely, it's it's terrifying. Genuinely. It's really it's really frightening. Hey, you Nobody mentioned OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, exactly, right? Um, uh, Carol, and I promise I'll let you go. I appreciate you being so generous with your time, but I just want to ask you about, about this and then one no, or two quick health stuff, questions. Frank, it's really, it's really um, interesting. So you mentioned OnlyFans, and I know uh, you made quite a, a splash with your decision to join OnlyFans. It was one of those things when you made the decision to join, everybody was talking about it. Now, if people have not um, been on OnlyFans but only read about it in the press, a lot of folks are of the view that what goes on in there is a lot of kind of explicit content and basically uh, some softer versions of pornography but th- that's not what you're doing, I know. Explain to folks, I know you uh, mentioned the issue of ownership. Explain to folks why you made that decision to jump to OnlyFans. And are you seeing OnlyFans kind of go into being more of a mainstream outlet for modeling and things like that? So, you know, the difference, the big difference for someone like me with, between OnlyFans and um, Instagram is, um, Instagram, I don't own my photos on OnlyFans. I own my stuff. I have the right to all my photos. I can put up what I want to put up, and no one can tell me I can't do it. Um, Instagram can tell you, yes, this could go up. No, this can't go up. You know, OnlyFans, anything goes. You know, OnlyFans actually started out as a outlet for musicians and chefs. You know, Cardi B is probably one of the highest paid people on there. She makes the most money, really. Because, you know, she started out as another outlet for her music and people could get to see her personally behind the scenes. Now, I have girlfriends putting nude pictures up on Instagram as well, putting little stars over their breasts and bed posts in Mm -hmm. front of their, you know, lower parts. And, And 
you know, you open up, you open up Instagram and it pops right out. Anybody can see it who's on Instagram. At least with OnlyFans, one of the things is it's behind a wall. So you have to pay for those more explicit photos if those are more explicit photos. Or if somebody has a proprietary uh, product. Like, for example, a lot of comedians on there, they have a Netflix show. When, the, when, it, when the, the rights to the Netflix show is over, they'll put it on OnlyFans behind a wall. And it's another outlet to make money for them. They own it. They can put it on OnlyFans. And you can see it after you pay whatever premium they put on it. Um, so it, it's, it's a unique spot. There's lots of different things on there. I have girlfriends who do explicit stuff. I have girlfriends who do feet stuff. I, I mean, I have, I have friends who do comedy on there. Everybody does, you know, finds their niche and does what they want to do. So, it, it, you know, it, the one thing I like about it is it doesn't pop right off the page at you. I've opened up Instagram and had my mm. girlfriends like, you know, stuck naked in front of me. I was like, you know, really, that was a little more than I wanted to say. Beautiful <laughs> <laughs> body, I can but imagine. like, I don't want to, I'm not interested. I, you know? Sure, I can imagine. Uh, we're talking with Carol All. One of the things I like about what you're doing is, and, you know, I don't want to make a big deal about your your age, but, you know, you've been very open about it. You're, you're in your 60s, and I think it's so wonderful to see you out there in your 60s posing and, you know, doing these sexy photos because in this culture, which seems to so often venerate youth, we act, and unfortunately, especially when it comes to women, that once you hit 45, maybe once you hit 50, that's it. You're no longer seen as something that can be an object of desire or someone that can be sexy. And I think it's such a great message to a lot of our listeners who might be men and women in their 60s that, yeah, you can still have a lot of sex appeal and be sexy even as you age gracefully. So I think that's uh, I think that's terrific. And a wonderful That's thing. really nice, Frank. Thank you. But, you know, one of the things I think keeps feeding that myth that you need to be younger is, you know, you have 70, 80 year old actors who have girlfriends on screen of a screen of 30 and 40 years old. And, you know, <laughs> constantly feeding that monster makes me really upset. And one of the things I talked about when I started with the OnlyFans was that pisses me off. I'm a I'm a vital part of society. I pay my taxes. I make money. I, you know, I, I have ideas I've created. I'm still doing it. I'm still creating ideas. You can see the, some of the new things I'm con- going to be coming out with in the future. And I, it, it makes me angry that, you know, men are too afraid to have a woman who's got an opinion, who's, uh, you know, doesn't, don't need them, but want to be there. You know, they want all these women who want them, need them because they want to, you know, in Hermes purse, you know, come on. There's got to be something mm. more substantial in a relationship than hopping from girl to girl or guy to guy because of what you could get out of the situation. Why can't two people get together and just be creative, fantastic people? And, you know, people are like, why aren't you dating? I'm like, why aren't I dating? Like, seriously, I am a happy single because all my <laughs> friends, all the men that I am associated with, I am creative with. And they look at me as a creative, vital part of a partnership. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to ruin that with sex because then all of a sudden everybody gets like all nervous. And, you, you know, now I don't want to have sex with you anymore. So the relationship is broken. I mean, Alexi and I broke up eight years ago. He's my best friend. Uh, he bought me my Stanley in, Cup ring. Well, I mean that that's uh, that that's reason enough to uh, stay best friends I with someone even post relationship. <laughs> but but aren't there aren't there 
are aspects of a relationship, a more romantic relationship that you miss? I mean, obviously you're doing a lot in terms of camaraderie, in terms of professional uh, collaborations with a lot of these men, but there's got to be an aspect of a romantic relationship that you do miss, I would think. Nah, every girlfriend I talked no. to was single. It's like, you know what? It's so freaking okay. draining. And men, when they're in that kind of relationship, are so freaking needy. I mean, it's, it's funny to talk to women at this age. I mean, it would be funny to put a panel on the view of women yeah. who are single at a certain age. Because, like, you know, we we focus on other things. And, you know, we have uh, uh, so much going on. And if somebody fits into that, don't get me wrong, Frank. If somebody fit into that you know, fit into that paradigm, I would be, I would be, you know, great. I have a few male friends who I've known for like a really long time who, you know, I look at and I go, what? And I go like, well, let's see, you know, I'm just let things flow. And I think when you start, when you get older, you just kind of let things flow. I'm so easy. I, you know, I just don't care about all the things I used to care about. I'm passionate about my work, but there's certain things I just won't do. Uh, and more power to you. I think that's. They won't do it. (laughs) I I can imagine. Uh, People could check out uh, Carol on not only on Instagram, not only on OnlyFans, but there's a lot of great articles at uh, carolalt.com. A lot of them, Carol, have to do with health. And uh, in spite of how healthy you looked in those uh, swimsuit photos back in the early 80s in Sports Illustrated and elsewhere, you've been very open about the fact that you weren't necessarily very healthy then, uh, but you've made a change in your life due to primarily a raw food diet along with proper sleep, exercise, and that whole thing. One trend that that has just exploded over the last year. It, are people using drugs like Ozempic and Munjara yeah. and Wegovi uh, in order to not necessarily stave off diabetes, but to either get thin or stay thin? I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be, but I have to ask you, what is your view of so many people using Ozempic and the similar family of drugs to get skinny? And I'm sure you have friends that have done the same thing. What do you think about this, Carol? Friends and colleagues. You know, first of all, I don't want to cast dispersions on people who, who do it and who need it for diabetes. I had a friend who had diabetes was on Ozempic and couldn't get it because everybody was using it as a diet drug. You know, if, if you're extremely overweight, that's really bad for your health too. So getting something that actually works because there's so much crap out there that doesn't work, Frank, you know, that there's so many people selling, uh, you know, selling placebos, you know, that this actually works. My only issue with something like this is that once you're there, you know, get off of it because anything that's artificial like that goes through the liver and it, it, you know, it's hard on the liver and it's hard on the body. So you're thin, but you're, you know, you've got these, this possibility of, you know, as you, as it is with anything that you take that's artificial, you've got, you know, possibilities of, of health issues. So if you're going to get there so you can be healthy and thinner, at least then, Turn around and change your diet. It's it's the fact that people don't change their habits, that they don't educate themselves, mm. so that whatever result they get, they get they they can long term it by by adding to their health on top of it. We're so focused on being skinny, and it's really weird because you know back in the day when I was modeling, um, I was 115 pounds and five foot eleven. 
And that was the norm. And today, and that was a size four. And today, the girls are size two and size zero. Okay, so, <laughs> you, 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 right. But Instagram has changed that because Instagram influencers are now the new models. And they are fat, thin, black, white, right, uh, right. yellow. Uh, they're, they're every, they're, the, the diversity is amazing and fantastic. And it allows people to be who they are. So it befuddles me a little bit that people are, I don't know, you know, aiming for that super skinny right. paradigm yeah. when, when we're, we're so open to so many diverse things. I just care about people's health. I care about them educating themselves. I don't sell anything. Uh, my, my books, I donate to alternative cancer research, you know, um, you know, for me, it's, it's about getting the information and people who helped me with my health helped me have a better life because I, I ate better and I had more energy and I was happy and more positive and my health changed and my looks changed. And then, you know, I wanted to pay it forward for other people. And I think it's really important because you can, you know, they call it Ozempic face. I, I mean, I was like, right. what is Ozempic face? Like for me, it's, you know, it's like the whole package. It's not just being thin being healthy and happy and vital and spiritual and fitting into this society and and bringing something to the party. Well, uh, whether it's physically, spiritually, or intellectually, uh, you do a lot to uh, lift other people up and to uh, provide a source of great inspiration and guidance for people that are looking to make some changes in their own life. Carol, I'm pleased to call you a friend and I really appreciate you uh, joining me on the radio this morning. And I hope we can do this again soon. I hope so, Frank. Congratulations on your show. You know I adore you. Thank you, Carol. Believe me, the feeling is mutual. Hey, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away Come fly with me, let's float down to Peru In Llama Land there's a one-man band And he'll toot his flute for you Come on, fly with me, let's take off in the blue Once I get you up there Where the air is rarefied We'll just glide Starry-eyed Once I get you up there The great Frank Sinatra This is The Other Side of Midnight I'm Frank Morano 52 minutes after the hour I'll uh, take your calls in a moment At 800-848-9222 You know what was um, Kind of a bummer is I went to pick up my son from school on Friday, 
And I asked, you know, I, I don't even remember if I asked, but his teacher volunteered to me that we're trying to, he's been sucking his thumb constantly, his teacher says to me. He's two years old. And we've been trying to redirect his thumb. So I don't know what you're doing at home, but if he's doing the same thing at home, you may want to try that. Now, this was what his dentist had told me as well, that this thumb sucking is a problem for his bottom front teeth. And, you know, he fell asleep in the car as I was driving him home on Friday. And I saw his front bottom teeth did look like they were growing a little askew. It looks like they're growing, they're a little pressed down and they're growing kind of inward. And so now we're trying to figure out how to deal with this. Now, the the dentist had recommended this device to use, which my wife didn't want to use. We ordered it and it came and she felt it was medieval looking. And now I, I told her we may have to look at this again. But I'm curious what other people have done in terms of remedying this thumb-sucking situation because it's a problem. He is sucking his thumb a lot. And uh, for his teacher to specifically mention it, she didn't just mention it to me, but she wrote it. You know, we get a daily report of what he's doing every day. It says they learn this and they learn that and he ate most of his lunch and, you know, whatever the case may be. And they wrote in, we're trying to redirect his thumb from the from his mouth. So curious if people have... Um, had any success with that with children of two years age of age 800-848-9222 hey look at this matt blazes back as i live and breathe matt you recovered i am alive and unlike uh elias you are not masked when you came back well i'm not i'm not positive i'm negative what we don't need a mask for well uh, Elias came back, he, right, Tony? He was masked all week last week. Yes, he was. All week? Wow. Yeah, but you're not doing that. No, because I tested negative today. So why would I need a mask? Uh, that, mean, means, that means he was probably still positive? No, I don't know. He's trying to be cautious, I After guess. After he gave me COVID? Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you. You you believe he gave it to you? Oh, 100%. 100% he gave it to you. Some people said, because I was in the hospital, that had nothing to do with it. This happened a, like a week later that I was around him and not around him very much because, you know, we're in different rooms during the course of the night, but we were in the same place for a little bit. And then next thing I know, I was sick on Sunday. I tested negative. Monday, I had to go to the doctor, just happened to have to go to the doctor. And Monday night when I was at the doctor, Monday afternoon, I had 101 fever. Joe, did you have it bad? Um, no, I, I would say it wasn't as bad as the first time. Oh, so you had it multiple times. Yeah. This is the second time I had COVID. I had it two years ago. Um, but this time around I did have a fever. I went through the, the, the chills, sweats, chills, sweats oh. twice, as opposed to four times the first time I had COVID. Oh boy. Did your longtime companion get it from you? No. No. Okay. And we Tony, stayed separate. Tony and I didn't get it from you and Elias, which were oh, right. Tony, you didn't get it. No, man, you're I looking just, better. I, thank you. I just had a head cold. Yeah. No, I was in bad shape last week. Yeah. So, well, there you go. Uh, Elias and Matt did their best to infect everyone, but your your plan yeah, is foiled. I stayed away. 
They told me you got to stay, you got to quarantine. I quarantined. There you go. Hey, well, we appreciate the consideration. So welcome back. It's good to have you back. We missed you. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Silas, what's on your mind, my friend? Yeah. Um, it was interesting when you're talking with Carol Alt because, uh, yes, I do feel that people uh just as vital when they were, you know, 60s and, and when, as when they're 20. I mean, she's an obvious case of someone who's still beautiful. You look at people who are well past their 60s. I mean, even, even Jane Fonda, God, she was, she's still good looking. And um, there's no reason to stop doing what you're doing. Look at musicians. I mean, our band started out the same time that Van Halen did. Van Halen hit fame and fortune. We didn't, but he was still an incredible guitarist beyond his 60s. It's just, you can keep creating and doing and being and everything. You know, it's unlimited what you can do, yeah. whether you're 20 or you're 70. Yeah, uh, I, I, well said, Silas. I think that's a great attitude, and it's one that uh, that I hope is prevalent. I completely agree. 800-848-9222. Larry in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, hi, Frank. Um, you know, getting back to that, uh, your your argument with David uh, from, from the Bronx, the, the standoff you had with him. I, um, I mean, both of you had points, but neither of you really hit the, hit the, real, the real issue. Um, I mean, I was wondering, from your perspective, you may have a point about escalation, but would you feel the same way if CIA intelligence had affirmatively uh, concluded, uh, they got evidence that Iran was gave specifically the orders to uh, to attack the U.S. troops. Would you feel the same way? Uh, well, I, I would feel the same way that we should not have U.S. troops in Syria and Jordan, yes. Okay, but that doesn't directly address the issue of, of us being attacked, no, no, but, but like, Larry, like David Ray. Larry, but it does, right? Because... If we're not in their country, then there are no troops there to attack. So why don't we get out of their country? We wouldn't well, like it if what, their troops were here. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Be, be, well, before this, uh, before these, this drone hit these 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 troops, this very the very issue of attacking Iran was being discussed by top generals already because of the Houthis, which are also Iran uh, back uh, attacking all the uh, merchant vessels. That was already being discussed hitting Iran. You're right, Larry. It leads just like uh, right after 9-11, the folks in charge said, what can we do? How can we attack Iraq? This plan was in the mix before. You're right. Keep asking questions.